through February 28th, get a choice of offers from Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, like up to 24 months no payments and no interest, or up to $1,125 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. One of the most difficult questions that a prosecutor has to deal with is, what do you do with juveniles who do really really bad things or do things that have really really bad consequences do you treat them as juveniles or do you try to treat them as adults here's a great example of this and this is a situation where if it had occurred in Milwaukee County you you know there would be no question about it because Milwaukee County does everything they can to avoid holding people accountable, particularly holding juveniles accountable. This, however, happened in Waukesha County. Here's the deal. Um, Last September, September 14th, there's a young man, 16 years old, who is driving a 2012 Honda Pilot, and he's apparently got a car full of kids with him. It's in the middle of the day. He's driving shortly before lunch. He's apparently driving uh, he and his kid, he and his buddies are, are driving to go get lunch at some fast food place. And it's always one of these examples, a cautionary note, if you're a parent and you've got children, you know, this, this is kind of the nightmare. So the kid is driving. My guess is probably not paying a lot of attention because it's a 16-year-old kid in a car full of other kids. Um, the speed limit where this occurs on like 124th uh, and North, North 124th Street in Brookfield, speed limit is 35. Well, what happens is the kid says he's driving 45 to 50. One of the people in his car say it, it's it, he's driving about five miles an hour over the speed limit, which would be 40. So that's what the people in the car say, 40 to, to 50 miles an hour. Well, what happens is there is a crash. And when the police arrive, they find a Honda Fit, one of the smaller cars, off the roadway against a telephone pole. Police had to remove the front passenger door of the vehicle to get into the vehicle, and they found that the sole occupant in the car was dead. So it was killed as a result of the crash. The story apparently is the young man, the 16-year-old who's driving the car, says, well, he's driving along, he's going maybe 45 miles an hour or 50, and he sees a Honda Fit turning in front of him um, trying to get into a Coles parking lot. Kid says, I tried to brake, but I I failed to do that. And what happens is the 16-year-old and the car full of kids smashes into other vehicle and ends up killing the driver. All right. So... The story that the people in the car say is, well, maybe it's 10 miles an hour over the limit. Maybe it's 15 miles an hour. Well, Brookfield police, to their credit, come out and they have the state patrol take a look at this. And there's, there's airbag data because the airbags exploded. So they're able to go back and look at the car before the crash. And what they find is, in a 35-mile-an-hour speed limit, five seconds before the crash, The 16-year-old was driving 72 miles an hour, five seconds before the crash. So he's double the speed limit. The report says 
he increased his speed to 78 miles an hour just 1.5 seconds before he hit the other vehicle. So I don't know if that means he saw the car in front of him and he went to hit the brake and hit the gas. I don't know. But 1.5 seconds before the impact, the car is going 78 miles an hour. Um, let's say the he apparently, according to the airbag data, hits the brake one second before impact, which slowed him somewhere into the 60 to 65 mile an hour range. So you, you, you get the picture five seconds before the crash, he's doing 72 and a 35. One and a half seconds, he's doing 78 and a 35. And then immediately before impact, he's, he's hitting the brakes, he's down to 60 to 65. But still, the impact boom and you have the driver of the other vehicle who is killed now what they have done so far is in waukesha they have issued charges and they've charged the 16 year old as an adult they've charged him with homicide by negligent operation of a of a vehicle that is a felony that carries up to 10 years in prison and ten thousand dollars in fines um, his attorney says, well, he expects that the adult criminal case is going to be dismissed and that this is going to then be moved to juvenile court where, again, the big consequences, I guess, would be he could be found delinquent. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So I think that this is, this is the deal. Kid's not fleeing police. Kid's not driving a, a stolen car. But he and some of his buddies are out for lunch. He's in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. He's twice the speed limit. So he's driving 70 miles an hour north 124th Street. Car is in front of him. He speeds up and then loses control of the car, hits a car. The driver is dead. Is this a case for adult court? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a minute. What do you think? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All this week, WTMJ is celebrating all things Gene Miller, truly a wonderful guy. With the Wisconsin Morning News host retiring this Friday, tune in all week to hear from special guests as we honor and remember his 44 years in broadcasting. Do you have a favorite memory of Gene that you'd like to share? Well, there's still time. Call us, 414-203-8105. Leave us a message, and you could hear your comments on air. It's Gene Week right here on 620 WTMJ. Okay, so, so here's the story if you're just tuning in. Happened last September, September 14th, so it's early in the school year. Got a 16-year-old kid with several of his high school buddies in the car. They're driving to go get lunch, so it's shortly before noon. The speed limit in Brookfield where they're driving is 35 miles an hour. As it turns out, five seconds before the impact, they're doing 72 miles an hour. A second and a half before the impact, let's see, that's five seconds, one and a half seconds, they're up to 78 miles an hour, and then when they actually have impact, there's a car that's like turning in front of them, they hit the car at 60 to 65 miles an hour, the passenger in the car, the, the driver of the car that's hit is dead. And so right now there's been a charge, it's a felony charge of homicide by negligent operation of a vehicle. The kid would be looking, it tried as an adult, in up to 10 years in prison. Uh, the attorney is saying, well, you know, we're, we're hoping it's going to be moved uh, to juvenile court. Should it be? 
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, there is a reason we have different justice systems for juveniles and adults. Kids' brains haven't developed completely, and it is normal for them to exercise poor judgment and not think about long-term consequences. Charging a juvenile as an adult should be reserved for cases where the crime is premeditated or the juvenile has consistently and repeatedly shown a disregard for others. So, in other words, 70 miles an hour, 78 miles an hour, hitting and killing somebody, well, the child's brain hasn't developed enough, so you shouldn't treat him as an adult. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, my thoughts are he's got an adult privilege to drive a car. As an adult, he uh, has that privilege as an adult. He should be tried as an adult. No question about it in my mind. He's negligent, well, a, and he killed somebody. Well, what about the argument that his, his brain just hasn't developed and he doesn't appreciate the consequences of driving, I don't know, almost 80 miles an hour, you know, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an area? Well, I think that there's a lot of 16-year-olds that have a lot more uh, common sense than this guy did, and he should be tried as an adult. I don't buy that. Good enough. Thanks to call, Mike. Um, 855-616-1620. Robert in Brookfield. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I concur with the last caller. He should be tried as an adult. He was in control of the vehicle. Okay? So this was not an accident where maybe he was driving in the winter and he hit some black ice and the car spun out of control and killed somebody. This was a deliberate act. And the fact of the matter is he was 16 years old. You got a driver's license. When you get a driver, my, my daughter's going through that program right now. They teach her every which possible way about the consequences of your driving, your actions. So he knew his actions could result in something like this. There's no possible way he couldn't because they, they pound this in your head at driver's ed. Okay. So his lawyer, I get it. He's, he's, he's got to do what he's got to do for his client. But if I'm the judge, I'm like, no way. This is going to stay in adult court, and he can pay the consequences. That's the thanks way the I call. feel about it. I'm tired no, of these. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I mean, thanks for the call. No. Well, I mean, you know, you said, well, you know, it was intentional. Well, it's not intentional. He intended – look, my, my guess is what happens is that you have a 16-year-old kid – in a car full of other 16-year-old kids and nobody's paying attention and you're out on the road and you're in a hurry to get to whatever the fast, you know, whatever the burger doodle is you're trying to get to and you're not paying attention and, and maybe you feel like you're, you're invincible and then, you know, you see the car in front of you and my guess is he, he went to hit the brake and he hit the gas and it made it even worse. But, but the truth of the matter is this, this isn't, to the point that this isn't, hey, you're, you're driving five miles an hour over the speed limit or, or 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. You are, at, at best, a couple seconds before the impact, you're double the speed limit. You're, you know, you're, you're going 70 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, and right at impact, it, it, you're still going 60 to, to 65, and somebody is dead. So where do I come down on this? Well, I, I think, I, I think that leaving the case in adult court is the appropriate thing to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you necessarily put this young man in prison for 10 years. That, that's, that's not the situation. But what you have here is somebody who is dead. That, that as a result of 
what I, I would say is gross negligence in the operation of, of a motor vehicle. And I guess my problem is if you shuffle it off the juvenile court where the results, where the matters typically get sealed and things like that, and you can find somebody delinquent, I, I think that depreciates the seriousness of this. Now, am I saying, Jeff, are you arguing that every time that you have somebody who's driving, some 16-year-old who drives, you know, double the speed limit and I don't know, piles up the car or something, that that automatically means you wave them into adult court? No, my answer would be no. Every case ends up being different. But in this particular case, somebody is dead because of the very, very irresponsible decisions that was made. Not intentional. I don't believe the young man went out and said, okay, today's the day I'm going to drive you to 75 miles an hour and see if I can smash into a car and kill somebody. But but that's the effect of what they did, and somebody ends up dead. And I'm not calling for 10 years in prison. I don't think that anybody would argue that necessarily. But the truth of the matter is he did something really bad. Um, Connie in Portage. Connie, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, Hi. I had three boys and two girls, and I agree with the first caller. Every one of my children, and they're responsible adults now, and everyone had an accident with their car. Thank God it wasn't serious, but everyone, I do not think they have, that their brain is completely adult. I just agree completely with the first caller. They should go to adult, uh, or to the, um, not adult court, be put in prison with all the adults. I just don't agree. Well, if the question then, Connie, let me let, let me work on that for a second with you. If if the premise is that at sixteen your brain is not developed enough to appreciate all these things, well, then should you be driving? I, I mean, if 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 that's the case, if you're if you can't appreciate that, gee, I, I I might if I go seventy five miles an hour in a thirty five mile an hour zone, I, I might kill somebody. Should we then say sixteen year olds can't drive? Should should we say you have to be eighteen to drive a car? I mean, I just ask because if that's the case, we're we're letting yeah. loose a, a bunch of really dangerous people yeah. on the streets. Well, I think you're probably right. I I would agree with eighteen personally, uh, just speaking from my own experience with my own kids. Uh, one of them just spun around in the. I mean, they did silly things, but they were all little accidents. And but they could have hurt somebody. And so, eighteen, I don't think would be a bad idea. Yeah. Okay. No. Thanks, Nicole. I mean, I, I appreciate. I just I, I ask that rhetorically because there, I'm, I'm getting some texts from people who, just like you, uh, agree with the premise of one of our texters who says, "Well, look, you know, at 16, they, they can't appreciate. You, you can't expect the brain's not developed enough to appreciate that. Gee, really bad stuff is going to happen if I pile into a car with a bunch of my buddies, and you know, we're driving in." Uh, it's 124th and North. You know, we're, we're driving in, in Brookfield at double the speed limit at noon, and if somebody happens to be turning in front of us, gee, we, we can't appreciate that we're going to hit and kill them. Well, if that really is true, to me, that's an argument for you shouldn't be on the road in the first place. 855-616-1620. Dave in Green Bay. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call, Jeff. Uh, Hi, Dave. Sure. I raised three sons. And they're all responsible adults now. And I was 16 once myself and done some stupid things with my friends. And I think this young man, he did kill someone. That's true. And you, and you, you know, you, he has to be aware and atone for that. But, um, on the other hand, 16, what you might do at 16, 
you would never do at 25 or 30. So I think that you're right. Some of these young men get themselves in terrible trouble because they just are, uh, they, they, they're empty-headed. They don't know the consequences. I, I don't know. I raised three sons. They weren't all perfect. They did get into some trouble. But somebody's throwing him into an adult prison or anything like that is only going to ruin this young man. Well, what do you do then? What do well, you, now, I, again, I, I mean, you know, what, 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 <laughs> now what would ha- what would happen is if he got sentenced to some prison time, it would be at least until he's eighteen, it would be spent in some sort of juvenile confinement. You don't you don't send fifteen year olds or sixteen year olds to um, to Wapan or anything like that. But I guess if you know if you want something on his record uh, other than just a, a mere juvenile finding of delinquency, what, what do you do, what do you do? Somebody's dead. Well, why someone's dead is correct, but it's, uh, I just think, uh, I don't know, so many young guys get themselves in problems when they're teenagers, and that follows them the rest of their lives. Of course, they did do it, but um, I don't know. I just think that every case, like you said, should be handled separately. And how they deal with this young man, uh, I think they should uh, look at it as, you know, try to, Try to get it right, I guess. You can't. Someone's yeah. dead. I know that, but I don't know what I'm. I, I just think. No, no, I get. It. No, I appreciate. I appreciate this perspective. No, it's and, and it's it's kind of difficult. Now, it is interesting to me that a number of people in our conversation and on the texters are viewing it from the perspective of the bad guy. And by say bad guy, I mean they're viewing it from the perspective of the 16-year-old who is responsible for killing somebody else. And I don't, they haven't released the details. I don't have the, I don't have the name in the background of the, I don't have the age of the person who, who was hit and killed. I, at least the story I have in front of me. But it is interesting that, and maybe it's partly the way I framed the question, what happens to him? But all the conversation that we've had so far has centered around the, the perspective of what are you going to do to the kid who is responsible for somebody being dead? Sometimes, don't we, shouldn't we also be looking at it from the perspective of the surviving family members of, of the people that were, the person that was killed? I, I mean, so imagine if this was your, spouse or it was your mom or your dad or your kid or your cousin or, or whatever and you get that call saying hey so-and-so was turning into the uh coles parking lot somebody was turning into the coles parking lot and somebody hit him at 75 miles an hour and and they're now dead all right now imagine your perspective if from the perspective of again the the surviving family members of the victim and and, and maybe you know, you think, okay, well, maybe this is a justification for perhaps some more accountability. So, again, 10 years, no, I don't think anybody's going to argue that he's going to get 10 years in prison. That's what you give somebody who's in the stolen car, who's stolen 10 cars before and leading, the, leading police on the high-speed chase. But this is still something that needs a degree of accountability, and that's why I, I think... I think at least issuing charges in adult court and pursuing that, think that's the appropriate thing to do. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Ridgetop Exteriors. With over 20 years in business, contact Ridgetop Exteriors today to build, improve, or repair your home. Get the Ridgetop Advantage and call 414-244-9416 or visit them at RidgetopExteriorsMKE.com. All right, I just want to bootstrap on one of the stories that Melissa was talking about in her uh, 1230 News. It's... Another day, another hit and run in Milwaukee. This happened uh, last night, 35th and Wells, about 11 o'clock at night. 42-year-old Milwaukee woman walking across the street when an unknown vehicle hit her. Um, the, the woman came to rest. The vehicle hits her. Um, she goes down lying in the roadway. As happens all too often the striking vehicle flees the scene so you know we don't know what happened we don't know if the car was stolen we don't know if the person was drunk all we know is that the driver hit this woman left her in the roadway then what happens is a driver of a second vehicle traveling on the roadway strikes the victim a second time um, that driver stays at the scene so that's the situation where, and you know, it's a horrible case. I don't imagine that there's going to be charges against the second driver because the second driver, you don't expect to find a body in the roadway. I mean, it's the problem is the first driver hit the person and then drove off. The second driver, I mean, stays at the scene. Unfortunately, the woman is pronounced dead at the scene. As is always, the line Milwaukee police are seeking an unknown suspect at this time. I just. I, I wish I had an answer for this, but but here you have another homicide, another dead person, another situation where I mean, who knows what would have happened if, after that initial impact, if instead of driving off like the coward that the person was, if they would have stayed on the scene and attempted to render assistance, at the very least, you know, pulled their car in, in the way to stop another car from driving by and hitting this poor woman a second time. You, you just don't know what the outcome would have been. But that's, of course, not what goes on nowadays in the mean streets of Milwaukee. You have the first car hits the lady and then drives off. And I, I rhetorically ask the same question that I asked in the last half hour when we were viewing the, the whole idea of what do you do with the 16-year-old that hit and killed this person, and, and we view it from the perspective of what should happen to the poor 16-year-old without viewing it from the perspective necessarily of you know what, what should happen to the person who's what, – what do you say to the family members of the person who's dead? Well, this, this is the same sort of thing, and you just – you wonder – what it is about people and what sort of moral compass or ethical guideline are they missing that you hit somebody at 11 o'clock at night and you just drive off leaving them maybe they're dead I don't know but leaving them for dead in the roadway what is it about somebody's DNA about their makeup that would allow them to do that and unfortunately there's too many of those people out there driving around on the streets creating carnage all right speaking of carnage let us switch gears the uh, stock market down again today right now the dow jones down 184 the nasdaq down 160 this is there's been a, a steady decline in the dow jones and it's really been going on since early january and there's a couple different factors inflation is one but the big factor driving market down nowadays is the absolute and total mess that's going on in ukraine now let me say a show of hands before oh i don't know maybe two months ago could you being honest now could you 
pick out Ukraine on on the map. <laughs> Don't see too many hands that are they're going up, and I, I I I appreciate that. And then even if you could pick out Ukraine on the map, could you identify the different regions of Ukraine that are now at issue? And my guess is. Almost nobody could do that. But here's here's the bottom line of what's happening. Um, Vladimir Putin is clearly determined to invade at least a portion of Ukraine. There, there's two areas of Ukraine. Think of them like states. Think of them like you know North Dakota and Montana. And Putin has declared that these are not part of Ukraine. They are now you know independent states. Um, which will soon be under Russian control. I mean, I, I, I Biden the other day, he was absolutely right when he says, who, who gets to declare, you know, what a country is going to be? So Putin is clearly, I think, intent on, you know, taking back these two regions, Montana, North Dakota, the, the two the two states that are, you know, in, in Ukraine. The question becomes, is he going to be satisfied with that or is he going to move and attempt to occupy the entire country? If he were to do that, it would, of course, ratchet up international tensions e- even higher than they are now to a level that I, I don't think we've certainly seen since the end of the Cold War, and that you might have to go back to the Cuban Missile Crisis you know, to, to find a, a comparable sort of thing. Putin does not seem to be uh, deterred by various threats of sanctions. And the U.S. and Europe, they've started imposing sanctions. Um, right now they're talking about tying up some of Russia's flow, Russia's flow of money. Unlike China, which has very, very... China is a, is a major trade partner with the West. And we depend on China for a lot of the goods that we bring one of one of the reasons we've got the problem with getting new cars is we're we're not getting enough of the computer chips out of out of Asia. Russia, on the other hand, is not the trade partner that China is. Russia's big asset is the fact that they're they're essentially they're a gas station. I, I mean, they provide you know they provide natural gas and or they provide petroleum. That that's that's that. And if you can get Europe to, for example, for example, you know, use alternative things, you you can you can punish Russia by cutting off their ability to access foreign markets. So there are things you can do, but at the same time, Russia has been preparing for eight to ten years since they were allowed to invade Crimea and get away with it. And so a lot of people are saying, well, the, the sanctions aren't going to be as effective. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't believe anybody wants us to get into a shooting war in Ukraine. I certainly don't. But if you're President Biden, if you are all the other leaders in the West, and you're looking at a guy like Vladimir Putin, who is nothing but a gangster in many respects, all right, do you just let him take Ukraine? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The longer this crisis goes on, the worse it gets. It doesn't really, I, I'm not sure what the end game really is here for for Russia. But they appear just heck bent on, on taking Ukraine, or at least taking a good chunk of it. Do we let them do it? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. You know, I, I think a, a lot of us have been hoping that cooler heads would prevail and there's be some diplomatic compromise that you could arrive at and, and things would, would ratchet down. Instead, for whatever reason, Vladimir Putin, because he figures it suits his interest and he can get away with it, he's been escalating stuff in Ukraine and it, it now appears, well, I mean, I think President Biden's already saying there's been an invasion of sorts. It now appears that he's going to be moving into large chunks of Ukraine, declaring those to be independent states. It, it, independent countries. Isn't that nice here? Uh, the Prime Minister of Canada decides, hey, South Dakota isn't a state in the country. North Dakota isn't a state in the U.S. It's now its own separate country. Huh. Pretty, must be nice to be able to do something like that. But the question is, what is the West going to be able to do? 855-616-1620. Look, I, I want to say in the beginning, it's a difficult situation because to me, direct and I'll explain this more in a minute. Direct military engagement is just just a non-starter. I, I just I can't see any scenario where there'd be much support for you know actually sending troops into Ukraine to fight the Russians. That's how World War III gets started, and I, I'm not sure any of us think it's a good idea to do it over Ukraine. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with uh, Mark in Port Washington. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I think we're really at a tipping point, uh, not only here in America, but also all over the world. I think everyone's watching to see what we do. And I think, obviously, we can't do military action because they're so far away and because just, I don't think America has a stomach for wars anymore. But I think we can do something more dramatic. For example... We probably know every oligarch who is in Russia. We have their names. We know where their bank accounts are. Freeze all those accounts. Plus this pipeline that, you know, Biden has agreed to let Russia go forward with. You know, let them drown in this liquid gas that they have. But unless we do something very, very dramatic, I think China is going to be moving on Taiwan within the next six months as well or before the next election. Um, so yeah. I'm hoping... I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping that he does something dramatic other than just a bunch of talk and say, it's okay for you to invade this country, but please do it in a politically correct manner, which is really what he told Putin. <laughs> yeah, th th thanks for the call. Yeah, you're referring to the Russia Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, which was going to be providing, you know, gas to, to Germany. Um, the, the good news with that is Germany is apparently stopping the certification on that, at least for the moment and partially, um, so not not completely. But that again, you for the Russian economy is really think of it as a gas station. That's 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 basically what it is. Now you raise an interesting point about China because there's a lot of people who think that that, that China and, and China is a much more difficult situation. There, there's just no question about it because again, from an economic sanctions standpoint, well, you know we're, we're much more intertwined with China than than we are with Russia. So what do you do? And nobody wants to get into a shooting war with um, with China either. Now I, I do think that there are military things you can do short of putting American troops on the ground. And matter of fact, the Wall Street Journal has an editorial today that's talking a lot about this, that, you know, it, I mean, 
if Putin continues the buildup that, that the U.S. and allies, I, I think, should be airlifting anti-tank, anti-aircraft, and other weapons to impose a, a higher cost on him if he intends to take more territory. You know, I've been reading some interesting stuff which talks about how the average Russian citizen, now keep in mind they operate under all this propaganda and stuff, but the average Russian citizen isn't necessarily in favor or sees that this giant goal that we end up having to take over this other country. And one of the thinkings is, because here's the bottom line, if if Russia moves on Ukraine proper, there, there's no question that militarily they're far superior and they're, they're probably going to be able to win. But but that's not to say that there's not going to be an incredible loss of human life, not just on the Ukrainian side, but also on the Russia side as well. So the other part of this equation is, you know, what do the average Russians are are do they say hey, we've got to take over this other country? Are they as perhaps power crazy as Vladimir Putin is? But I do think from a military standpoint point if i'm nato if i'm the u.s what I'm, I'm doing is we're saying okay we're going to help you defend yourself we're we're not putting troops on on the ground but yeah we're we're going to give you some equipment to help you do that or at least increase increase the risk of loss to russia if they move in to do it and as far as sanctions i mean i agree with the last caller so far we've been talking about slaps on the wrist and it hasn't deterred putin i think at some point in time if if Russia wants to behave like a rogue state, you got to treat them like a rogue state. You treat them like you treat North Korea, and you say, okay, we're we're going to freeze Russian assets in this country. We're going to freeze Russian assets in Great Britain. We're going to dry up your ability to you know in, engage in transactions again on the world stage, and and that's going to have an impact. Will it deter? Putin? I, I don't know, but you, you can't send boots on the ground, but there are other things you could do. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Mike. What do you think? Well, first of all, uh, I hope this comes to a peaceful resolution, first and foremost, and I'm glad the Pope had something to say and make a statement, even though he's talked about it in the past. Um, Biden is not my favorite president. But I think he's been doing a pretty good job so far. Um, in terms of sanctions, I think we need to wrap that up dramatically. Um, we need to draw the line in the sand right now. Those separatist areas that associate themselves more with Russia than Ukraine, I don't know if those can come back. But right now we need to draw the line in the sand. And you're right. Our economy is not as um, intertwined with Russia as it is with China. But Europe's is. So, And we do have a lot of Western Europe in NATO with us, so I believe that they can do more, like Germany has done, and I think they need to do more. I think, you know, us in Europe have to ratchet up as much as we can. Well, and, and thanks for the call, Mike. Yeah, and, and to your point, um, this this incursion does it does it have potential impact on the United States? Yeah, it has potential impact because it would give Russia access to more warm weather ports and maybe an ability to cut off like wheat shipments or something like that. But but I mean, it has a direct role when you look at I mean some of the other countries. If if you're Poland, you're looking at this and saying, okay, what what's going on? You know, what's next? And a number of people, I'm getting a number of texts that are are saying, well, you, you can't engage in appease, appeasement, and they're they're going back. And and they're correctly citing, you know, the lesson of the of 1936 and 1937 with Hitler, where you know you had the aggression. And I, I, I generally speaking, I, I, I stay away from 
references to Hitler or Nazis or things like that because it's almost always inappropriate. But I, I understand like parallels here where you have I, I don't know a in this case it's it's not a German madman it's it's a Russian gangster but you know who who thinks nothing of international protocol and thinks that you know my national interest is in trying to try to restore former glory and here I'm I'm going to take Ukraine back and it doesn't matter whether they consider themselves a country or things like that and and you start pushing I think at some point in time you know you got to respond to aggression in some way. Boots on the ground, no. Uh, American military planes flying over and, and bombing Russian soldiers, no. You, you can't do that. You have to support Ukraine in any way, shape, or form you can. But I also think this is something, and, and this is, at least to me, it's something that Biden should not be the face of this. This is this has got to come across, and I'm not saying he has been, but Biden should not be the face of this. This has to be because it direct affects Europe more directly than it affects the United States. This has this has to be NATO. This has to be a combined group decisions, and whether it's you know Germany leading the way, or France leading the way, or Great Britain leading the way, or or wherever, it's got to be a coordinated sort of effort. Otherwise, I think it's doomed to fail. I don't know how all this plays out, but I, I do say, I do believe that going on for week after week after week, I don't know that, I don't know that there is a diplomatic solution to be had, but I, I sure hope so for everybody's sake. And if there isn't, short term, the stock market's going to get a lot rockier and gas prices are going to get a lot higher. I was looking at some reports today in Los Angeles. They're already paying $6 a gallon for gasoline at some places. All right, let's take a quick break. Back with lots more in just a few minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, on, on Monday's program, I, we, we, we did about 20 minutes talking about, you know, some, some things should be hard and some things should be easy. This Major League Baseball... Opening day is definitely in question. Opening day for the Brewers is supposed to be March 31st, which is a Thursday. Well, Major League Baseball has locked out the the players' union. That lockout has gone now 83 days. Spring training has been delayed. Spring training games are starting to be canceled, which is, you know, maybe you don't care about spring training games, but it's actually it's a very big deal, not just to baseball fans, but it's a very big deal to these communities that where where spring training occurs because they make a lot of money. You know, people travel to see their teams and things like that, and it's another one of these situations where, you know, when, when elephants fight, the grass gets trampled. That's what they say. It, it's sort of like you, you've got this Major League Baseball, which is a multi-billion dollar industry, and you've got the, the owners and the players. I'm at this point where I say a pox on all of their houses because I've, you know, we're, you're, you're, you've got this huge pie, as I've been saying, and, and they're, they're fighting about, you know, how, how big a chunk of stupid money, you know, should one side get or, or the other side get. And meanwhile, it's the quote-unquote little people, you know, the, the folks that make some extra money parking cars at the stadium or the, the folks that, you know, go out and uh, sell beer in the stands or all those things. Those are the people that are, are getting hurt. They're getting hurt big time. So it's just frustrating to me. So anyhow, 
the, the general thinking is that if they don't reach an agreement by by next Monday, and it's already what Wednesday, they're they're going to have to delay opening day. They're going to have to delay opening day. I mean, how how crazy is that? And and so now at least some of the so-called good news is well now they've agreed to meet and they're going to meet on a daily basis, which raises the question of okay well why haven't they been meeting on a daily basis since they put this lockout into effect eighty plus days? Again, I you know I don't I don't know enough about the economics of baseball to argue at what point in time you know should somebody be eligible for arbitration after two years and two months or two years and six months. I don't know enough about Major League Baseball to argue the nuances of, all right, should the, the minimum salary for a first contract be 46000 or 63000 I I don't know all of that. All I know is you've got a ton of money, just in the case of the Brewers. I'm a huge Brewers fan, and this is from the perspective of somebody who's got a 20-game season ticket package. Uh, this is the value of that franchise has skyrocketed since the Atanasi ownership group bought it, and that's pretty much consistent with all the other interests in baseball. So there making a ton of money. You look at the average player salary, they're making a ton of money. It is just incredibly frustrating to me that given all this money to go around, again, you cannot reach an agreement. Will they reach an agreement in time to get opening day office scheduled on March 31st? I, I have no idea. But I, I do say this. I, I think there were a lot of people who, after 94, the last you know Major League Baseball uh, work stoppage, a- after 94, it took them a long while to come back. As a matter of fact, some people have never come back since then. And, and I think, candidly, you know, baseball has to realize that as a sport, it is a habit. One of the beauties of baseball is you, you it's an every day. You, you look forward to turning on WTMJ and hearing Bob Euchre and listening to the call of the game every evening, and it, it's a habit. And what happens is once people fall out of that habit, they find other things to do. And it's tougher and tougher to get them back. And especially, and I do say especially, after the last two years, you know, first of all, we had the COVID-related shutdown, and, and then... At the end of the season, two years ago, you had an abbreviated season, and it was played in front of empty stadiums. And then last year, you had the, the gradual rollout. Remember, at the beginning of the season, it seemed like there were only about 15% of the stadium could be filled, and gradually a little bit more. And the fans put up with all that, and they came back, and they came back in a big way. You know, If you really want to kill the golden goose, if we're going to use cliches, baseball owners baseball players you're on the verge of doing this so i hope collectively they end up you know getting their uh, act together jeff i feel like negotiations always go down to the wire it's just the way it goes well maybe that's the case you know and, and hopefully that's the case because you would hope that on both sides when they go home after a day of negotiating and you sit back and you have yourself cocktails and you talk about what happened you would hope somebody would realize that you know you're running out of time and you've got to, at some point in time, there's got to be this breakthrough that gets everything done. Will that happen? I don't know. All right, when we come back, I want to talk to you about one of the last places that mask mandates are still in effect. Is it time to change that? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All this week, WTMJ is celebrating all things Gene Miller. 
who really is a great guy, and he's going to be missed. With the Wisconsin Morning News host retiring this Friday, tune in all week to hear from special guests as we honor and remember his 44 years in broadcasting. Do you have a favorite memory of Gene that you'd like to share? Well, there's still time. Call us at 414-203-8105. Leave us a message, and you could hear your comments on the air. It's Gene Week right here on 620 WTMJ. You know, and I will tell you this. Um, I know, first of all, he is incredibly deserving of all the attention. Gene Miller is just, he's a local treasure, and he's a radio icon, and he deserves all the love he's been getting this week. I will tell you, though, I, I knowing Gene as I do, he, he's, he's incredibly uncomfortable about this whole stuff. I think if it were up to Gene, Gene would have just kind of, Opened the mic one day and said, "Okay, that that's it for me. I'm calling it a career." Vinny Vitrano is going to start um, on, on Monday. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate it. And, and I think he would have been just as happy to be done with that. But you can't let him go like that. You you can't. And so he deserves all this. So so check it out. It's Gene's last couple days at WTMJ. Um, listen to Wisconsin's morning news every morning. Okay, mask mandates are falling all across the the country, and I think it's. For a number of reasons, I think, first of all, let's be honest, politically, I think most people have had enough. And most people are ready to move on from the pandemic. And for people out there who are clutching their pearls saying, how can you say that? Well, I just think that's the reality. I think there's, after two years, I think there's there's the COVID fatigue that's going on and people are ready to move on. Secondly, the COVID numbers are getting better. And I'm not saying that they're not still a cause for concern, but the COVID numbers in general are are getting better. So you've got that factor that's there. And third, you've got more and more politicians who I think are saying, okay, well, we've got elections that are coming up in November. People aren't happy about this. Is is it continue? Is it worth? continuing to do this when people aren't paying attention anyways we put the mask mandate in effect and then you i don't know you you look at the super bowl where people are supposed to be wearing masks and nobody's wearing masks and so if nobody's paying attention to these various requirements why do you still have them in place one of the few places though that still has a mask mandate and will for at least the next couple weeks are airlines these are not subject to airports and airlines are not subject to local control or state rules. They're governed by the federal government. The Biden administration has decreed that you must wear masks, and it's a follow-up to what Trump did. So, let's, if you want to take the take the politics out of it, the rule has been: if you go into an airport, you got to wear a mask. If you get on an airplane, you have to wear a mask. That's a federal rule. It's not a requirement of the airplanes. Now, some some airlines might have their own rules, and, and maybe before the federal government put its rules into effect, they, they did. But right now, you have no choice. And if United Airlines or Southwest Airlines or Allegiant Airlines or, or whatever decides that they don't want to require you to wear a mask, they don't have the discretion to do that. They, they have to follow the rules, and those are the federal rules. As it stands now, the federal rules are scheduled to expire on March 18th. So the middle of March, the mask mandate in airports and on airlines goes away, at least the federal government's mask mandate. Like I say, there's nothing that says that United can't say, all right, if you're going to fly on our planes, you got to wear masks. Nothing that says that they couldn't put that rule into effect. And nothing that says that if you 
want to wear a mask when you're flying between Milwaukee and Las Vegas, for example, that, that you can't do it. You're, you're always going to have that option. The, I'm looking at a story today from the New York Times. The Flight Attendants Association, the, the union, is asking the government to continue to impose and extend the mask mandate past March. Not clear what the Biden administration is going to do. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let, let's tee this up. Mask mandates being dropped all across the country. The federal mask mandate on airplane travel is scheduled to go away in the middle of March. Should it be continued? 855-616-1620. My answer is no. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, let me give you two texts which kind of outline both positions on this. I traveled Monday and Tuesday. I wore a mask through security, and when I got on the plane, the rest of the time I was not. No one in the airport or on the plane said anything about the absence of my mask. Truth be told, I did avoid being seen by the flight attendants. I'm done with masks. Let's follow the science, not the politics. Um, okay, so there's that perspective there. The person says no. All right, so here's the other perspective on this. One of our texters says, I know I'm clearly in the minority, but I strongly believe that mask mandates should continue forever for health care environments and in all tight transportation spaces like terminals, on buses, trains, planes, and even ships. Only planes built within the last 10 years have effective air filtration systems, and buses and trains have none. People crowded together and traveling somewhere risk spreading a multitude of disease throughout the world, and universal masking is a simple way to reduce it. It doesn't matter to me that sporting events and concerts and conventions crowd people indoors now without masks because people choose to be there tightly crowded versus transportation often being a necessity for them, many of whom could be at risk. We've all grown accustomed to masking in all medical facilities, and transportation for two years now, continuing that is no big deal. No big deal to wear a mask essentially forever. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, here, here's the, the deal on, on this. First of all, I believe that there are going to be people who will, for the rest of their lives, choose to wear masks whenever they go out in public. And to those people, I say go with God. If, if you feel because of your individual situation that you want to wear a mask because it makes you feel more comfortable or whatever, I, I have no problem with that at all. I do not look askance at you if you do that. And I do, for example, I agree that, you know, there, a lot of times, every time I get a cold, it seems like it, it's been after I've been on an airplane and I'm sitting there and there's some, you know, like 10-year-old behind me who hasn't figured out that you're supposed to cover your mouth when you cough or, you know, put your hand over your nose when you sneeze or sneeze into a tissue or something like that. So, I mean, I think that there's going to be a certain segment of the population that might choose to wear, wear a mask forever. And, and that's great. But as far as mandating everybody to do that, I think that that time 
has passed. And I understand some people say, well, what's the big deal? Well, I'm sorry, maybe it's just me, but I think it is a big deal. When you're on a plane for three, three and a half hours, I find it to be very, very uncomfortable. And and I'm not sure that you're actually accomplishing anything other than, than virtue signaling. As far as having to wear a mask in an airport, well, okay. If you, if you don't have to wear a mask when you're crowded in to a shopping mall, why should you have to wear a mask when you're you're going through an, an airport where arguably you're you're not going to be as close to some people? But again, if you want to do it, it's fine. But I, I think we're at a point now where this has got to start becoming voluntary. Jeff, I am sick of masks, but to be honest, I would not mind wearing one on a plane like you. I usually get sick after flying, probably from breathing the same air in, which is to what I. I say, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are, you know, going to, you know, do that. Jeff, if you don't want to wear a mask, fine, but people need to stop with the looks and smart remarks because I choose to wear one. That's fair. See, I, I think that's fair. We, we've got to get over ourselves. So, you know, the people, if, if people are really looking askance at somebody because they're wearing a mask, you've got to knock it off. And at the same time, if you're in an area where it's not a mandatory mask thing, you've got to stop looking at people. Oh, you're not wearing a mask. You know, you're, you're, you know, typhoid, you know, Jeff, or whatever this is. Jeff, I think there's a middle ground here. Most of us have an immune system that handles most things. In places like hospitals or where there's a high population of people with challenged immune systems, like cancer patients, I understand they require, they should require it, but um, beyond that, well, right, that, that's exactly the case, and that's why I say, if United Airlines, for example, decides that they want to require this as a condition of being on their planes, and, and they think that that's going to be a marketing thing, hey, fly with us, you still have to wear a mask, they have every right to do it. But as far as a federal government making the mask mandate, as far as I'm concerned, just like the city of Milwaukee is going to let its mask mandate expire, just like most of the places around the country are letting their mask mandates expire, I think it's time to let the mandate expire and then let the free market decide. Will that happen? Who knows? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Ridgetop Exteriors. With over 20 years in business, contact Ridgetop Exteriors today to build, improve, or repair your home. Get the Ridgetop Advantage and call 414-244-9416 or visit them at ridgetopexteriorsmke.com. Well, this must have been quite a party. The woman's name is Abby Broyles. She is a 32-year-old attorney, former television investigative reporter. She's a Democrat who ran unsuccessfully for the U.S. Senate in Oklahoma in, in 2020. She is running again. This time she's running for Congress. Now, she's running in an extremely conservative district. I think there's been one Republican that, that's held the seat, uh, one Democrat that's held the seat in recent history. So it's one of these kind of, well, okay, she's running, but there's really not a great chance that she's going to win. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is exactly what you want to have happen on your, your, during your, your campaign. Okay, so here's the deal. There's the, this sleepover with about eight girls between the ages of 12 and 13, including, including this woman's daughter. And, and they're having a sleepover. 
Okay, Jeff, what, what, where are we going with this? Well, apparently, Abby Broyles, the woman who wants to be in Congress, she decides that she's going to crash the, the sleepover where her daughter's at. They're, apparently, they're sitting around and, and watching Titanic or whatever. Oh, okay, well, that's fine. Mom's taking an interest. Mom's going to go over. You could say maybe mom's helping out the chaperone. Okay, well, here, here's the deal, though. Mom shows up. She's blind drunk. Now, Mom's explanation is, this is Abby Broyles' explanation. She's like, well, you know, I was, I was having trouble sleeping, so I, I took this sleep medication, and I, I mixed it with alcohol, and, you know, it ended up being this, this sort of bad scene. I, 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 don't, I don't even remember any of this, because originally she denied that she was even at the party. But, but she was at the party. So mom stumbles in. Mom is drunk. Mom is taking medication. Apparently, mom starts to give a tongue lashing to a number of the 12- and 13-year-old girls. I, I can't I can't say on the radio what she said, but she apparently started swearing at these children, um, mentioning that one of the kids was Hispanic. She referred to another child's acne. And then, you know, started cursing out a bunch of these other kids. At one point in time, apparently she vomited into one of the girl's shoes. She also threw up in the laundry hamper. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, one of the other women who was, was at this party was just uh, understandably appalled by this, that you, you crash this party, you start cursing at 12 and 13-year-olds in a drunken stupor, and then you throw up in a laundry hamper and in one of the other girl's shoes. So apparently she's now come forward and she has apologized for showing up drunk, verbally abusing children attending the sleepover, and vomiting, you know, <laughs> all over. I guess all I'm thinking of is that that must have been one heck of a party, and I'm trying to picture this. Can you imagine being those kids there? First of all, her daughter's got to be absolutely mortified. You know, is, is mom showing up in this? And all these other kids saying, okay, th- this is this is the lady who used to be on television, and she wants to be a congresswoman, and she's here drunkenly cursing us all out and vomiting all over. Huh. I, I think, you know, we all have bad nights. There, there's no question about it. But some of our bad nights are worse than other bad nights. And um, Abby Broyles, I think she goes down in history as having some of the worst nights ever. All right, let us take a quick break. When we come back, there's only, well, there's only a couple left. I'll tell you how many. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Kmart. Now, for some people, it's like, what what is this Kmart thing of which you speak? Kmart has an absolutely fascinating history. I mean, Kmart actually goes back to, well, it it goes back to to 1900. Because before there were big box retailers, there were, we used to call them 5 and 10 cent stores, like variety stores, Woolworths and Kresge's and things of the like. And, And they were... They were places where you could go to find miscellaneous store, sort of stuff, and they had lunch counters and things like that. And and I understand that they around here there used to be a, a Drew's Drew's variety. I remember they had them, but they, they were your, your five and ten cent stores, which were maybe the precursor to the dollar stores today. But but the big couple of of the big five and ten cent store, some of the big dime stores as they were called, were, were Kresge and um, Woolworths. And and what happened is. Kresge, 
um, was the founder of the company that would ultimately become Kmart. And he and Mr. Woolworth partnered together, and they started, again, the, these five and ten cent stores, these dime stores across the country. And, and then gradually, those stores merged and, and became Kmart's. And at one point in time, the first Kmart in the United States was in 1962. At its peak, which would have been 1994, there were 2,323 Kmart stores in the United States. 2,323. Why are we talking about Kmart? And there used to be Kmart stores all over our area. I mean, I've told this story before. I um, when when I was in law school and had like like no money, <laughs> like like no money, there was there was a, a Kmart store that was on, oh, like seventy six in Good Hope, which was kind of close to where I lived. And you you could go over at at the end of the night, right before I think it closed at nine o'clock or whatever. And, and Kmart always used to have not really a lunch counter, but they used to have you could buy hot dogs and things like that, you know, that type of stuff. But like 15 minutes before the place was going to close, they would offer you great deals. I mean, you could buy like hot dogs for a nickel because, you know, otherwise they would just kind of throw them out. So if you would go over there at 845, you know, you could you could get three or four hot dogs. You could have dinner, <laughs> essentially, you know, for, for a quarter or for 50 cents or, or whatever. And I have to admit, on more than one occasion, back when I had no money, I, I took advantage of those. This is the blue light special. They'd always announce that. So, I, I mean, I have a certain fondness for, for Kmart. So anyhow, 1994, there were 2,323 Kmart stores in the United States. I have in my hands a story, well, out of the Philadelphia Inquirer. As of the end of this month, would you like to guess how many Kmart stores there are in the United States? Well, wait, you, you, don't, you don't have to do that. I'll do it for you. The number is... Four. Four Kmart stores left in the United States, and I believe that there are none overseas. At one point in time, there were, oh, about 150 or so overseas as well. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What happened? I mean, in the space of, well, you know, in, in the space of, you know, again, 26 to 30 years, you know, you've seen what at one point in time was a pretty dominant force in in shopping. I mean, 2,000, you know, 300-plus stores in the United States, and Kmart was kind of a, a part of of the local language. Everybody knew about the blue light specials and things like that, and, and now, now Kmarts are, for all intents and purposes, you know, gone. There's one that's left in Miami, and there's one that's left in New Jersey, and I'm not sure where the other two are, but there's only four of them left. So what happened? Why did Kmart go the way of the dinosaurs? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner. So delighted to have you with us. All right, Kmart, which at one point in time, dominant retailer in this country it's now down to four stores open in the United States. One is in Philadelphia, one is in northern New Jersey, one is in Long Island, and one is in Miami. And otherwise, that's it. So what happened? Perry in Milwaukee. Perry, you're on WTMJ. Hey. Hi, Perry. I'm surprised I'm calling you on this subject when I asked so many more I was going to call you on. But anyway, I think the main thing is I live on 27th and Layton area. 
when I first moved here 20, 25 years ago, there was a Treasure Island my grandpa right. used to take me to and, and change over to Kmart. And I was a big hunter, fisherman, still am. And they had the best, the best sporting goods things in the, in the area. I bought right. my first rifle there, fishing tackle, rods and reels, sleeping bags, right. everything. So- and then, you know, so even like, you know, they stopped doing it. They stopped yeah. supporting that section. Um, I would go there, and I even went there during the last days because I'm so used to going there for a couple of things like those little green propane tanks. They didn't have them. You know, they didn't have any selection. They stopped supporting that part, and I think that was huge. In, uh, well, thanks for the call, Perry. No, uh, I, appreci- I appreciate it. No, there was all sorts of – it's funny you mentioned Treasure Island. I've told this story before. My first – my first – job you know outside of cutting lawns and delivering papers and like shoveling sidewalks and stuff i worked um in high school at a treasure there was a treasure island store which was the discount they were they were the jc Penney's discount stores and i worked at one that was on uh, green bay avenue and brown deer road i worked in the toy department at uh, christmas time and i you'd, you'd stock the shelves and you you know it was it was actually it was a very very interesting experience and of course treasure islands have gone the way of the dodo bird as well i, I do think i mean obviously I, I guess that they stopped having stuff. That that's that's part of it. I mean, I think I just don't think Kmart could keep up. Now, a number of people, and I'll get to some of the texts. Number of people are saying, "Well, Walmart is what happened, and Costco is what happened." And and I think you know Walmart was definitely a factor. But I think Kmart kind of got caught because they were neither again to use a cliche, neither fish nor fowl. But what happened is Walmart came in and started to dominate the the super low price area of of that that industry you know that those were the options and then you had places like target for example that i think carved out a, a niche of being higher quality than, than kmart now at least that that's kind of the perception so it was one of those deals where if, if you were really cost if, if cost was your driving factor well you go to walmart and then if you want if cost is still a factor but you know you you want something that you perceive at least to be higher quality maybe that's fair maybe it's unfair then then you'd end up going to like a target and stuff and i, I don't think that that kmart ever ever just was able to grapple with that. And I know towards the end, at least some of the Kmart stores that I would go into, because I, I, I like to walk through stores like that and just kind of look for stuff. You know, it's, oh, this is, this is here's stuff. Um, I, I, I understand you'd walk into these stores and the shelves would be empty, and it just always struck me that, that, that the, the Kmarts weren't as well kept as some of the other stores. And I guess that's the best way I would say it. Just they would be junkier and things like that. Greg in Wauwatosa. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, just a little backstory, Jeff. Uh, we had talked about this topic. I called in several years ago, and I, I was I worked at Kmart in the in the early '80s. Um, and at that time, there were, as you said before, just thousands of Kmart. So in 2017, I decided to take a mission up and tour all the remaining Kmart's in Wisconsin. <laughs> in 2017, okay. there was ten left. Okay. It was a bucket list thing you were talking about, and that was on my bucket list, and I think okay. we got a chuckle out of that. But anyway, uh, to answer your question, why you think that they may have gone under or failed, I, I think it was what you guys already touched upon. One of the things was competition. Certainly, Kmart uh, had competition against Target, Walmart, Sam's Club, and the like. But I think one of the other big factors was their advertising. They used models and other actors and 
Kathy Ireland, I remember, and a few other ones that I don't know if they were as, uh, you know, good for the for the timing. Maybe they should have updated. Right. They had do the advertising. Um, maybe more current people that other you know right. shoppers could relate to. But I think that was a big part of it too. Do you, do you remember the blue light specials? If you work there, you have to the blue light specials. I used to. I used to run those. Yeah, absolutely. And when we would start up a blue light, we'd make our announcement. Attention, Kmart shoppers. Under the blue light, we'll be featuring whatever it was. You'd get a mass of people that would run over and want to get that special item. Absolutely. Look, Greg, people are listening to us, and they don't remember, but that's exactly what would happen. There would be an announcement. We've got a blue light special going on in boys' underwear or whatever, boys' clothing, and people would just run to, to see what the deal was. And, I mean, honest to goodness, I'm not exaggerating. I still do, like I say, remember going over to this Kmart, and you'd go over right before closing because they'd have discounts on all the food. And it was like, okay, I, I can eat dinner here. And I, I just, I've always, so I've always had fondness for Kmart because of that. I, I too, Jeff, and I, I'm, I I do miss them. And the last Kmart that was in the state, I think, was about three years ago, and they closed their doors. And uh, you know, I know it wasn't as uh, high society of a store as most people would like, but they had a lot of things that other stores didn't have. And uh, I just found oh, it yeah. to be a treasure, and I'm missing them. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Greg. I appreciate it. It is one of those kind of nostalgia things, and I, I, I guess I understand if you are of a, a certain age, you hear, why are they talking about this Kmart? What could be the big deal? And really, people would, they'd announce a blue light special, and people would run. Yeah, that's exactly what would happen. Jeff, I worked at Kmart as a cashier. It was a great job, and I got my lunch there. I think they just couldn't keep up with the other stores. I think it's it's too bad. Um, yeah, Jeff, Kmart couldn't keep items in stock and couldn't keep up with updates and repairs to their stores. Yeah, I mean, they definitely fell into disrepair. And then, you know, they they ended up merging with Sears. And I was never quite sure, did they take over Sears or did Sears take over Kmart or, or whatever? But the bottom line is that they were both sort of floundering franchises in town. Jeff, in our town, Walmart and Target came over. They took over the clothing areas. Menard built a store that took over lumber and hardware. Fleet Farm took over sporting goods. There was nothing left for Kmart. Yeah, I think there's an element of that. But in any event, it's... It's part of Americana. If you ever watch the the show, the movie Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise, there, there's there's a line where uh, Dustin Hoffman character just says, "Kmart sucks." Well, I, there, there's going to be generations of people they're going to watch that movie and have no clue what it is that he's talking about. It's too bad. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Look, I understand that there's a lot of really significant stuff going on in the world. We, we talked about the, the Ukraine crisis. That's um, it, it is a humanitarian potential crisis. It's I think you, you might have to go back to... The Cuban Missile Crisis, to find a time where, where the world has really been as much on, on edge, and I, I think we're all kind of in this sort of wait-and-see mode, and nobody exactly knows what's going to happen with regard to this, but we're all hoping that, that cooler heads prevail. And I understand that there's all this anxiety going on. We're in the election season. It's And, and I know some people, particularly some of 
the conservatives in the audience are just they, they hate it when I talk about like this election madness that's been going on in Wisconsin. And and I do it because well, it's it's getting national attention. You know, over the weekend there was a huge story in the New York Times of all places. You know, talking about again the, the craziness that you're you're having with some conservatives, some Republicans in Wisconsin who are obsessed with this idea that you're going to. I don't know, somehow overturn the results of the 2020 election. Well, if you elect me, we're going to decertify the election, and then we're going to get together with Arizona and Michigan and do this, and we're going to toss Joe Biden out of office. It's it's really the stuff that, that the people that wear the tinfoil hats are made of, and it's making Wisconsin sort of a national laughing stock. And I, I'm, I call it out because it's time for sensible people to come to their senses and just, just say, look, we're, we're not going down this route. And if it irritates or antagonizes a, a handful of the, again, the, the lunatic fringe, well, well, that's fine. And you've got lunatic fringe on the right or the left. It's just the ones on the right in Wisconsin are getting all the attention now, national attention, because it seems like they're coming up with one cockamamie scheme after another. And if you think it's just, well, that's just the New York Times that's writing about this, well, over the weekend, uh, the Wall Street Journal, Wisconsin GOP suicide watch. Fantasies about un-2020 will help re-elect Governor Tony Evers. Donald, this is the editorial board, and this is the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Donald Trump's delusions about the 2020 election are the gifts that keep on giving to Democrats. We don't wear tinfoil hats, says Wisconsin Representative, State Representative Timothy Rantham. Yet he's running for governor while urging lawmakers to somehow reclaim the fraudulent electoral ballots that Wisconsin gave to President Biden. Where to begin? There is no legal route for a state to undo the Electoral College votes cast in December 2020 and counted on January 6, 2021. Zero. Zip. Zilch. Even if Mr. Trump had won Wisconsin's 10 electors, he would have still lost the White House. Wisconsin Republicans have legitimate gripes about how voting rules were bent during the pandemic, including the use of ballot drop boxes and private funds that flowed to local election officials. The Zuck Bucks, which, by the way, while legal, is something that I think people should be concerned about. But the GOP, the editorial continues, but the GOP strategy should be to pass legislation that clearly bans such practices, which requires beating Democratic Governor Tony Evers in November. Mr. Rantham's crusade is an in-kind donation to the Mr. Evers re-election campaign. A pep rally to launch Mr. Rantham's campaign this month brought out hundreds of supporters. Um, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports, and it was kicked off with remarks by, by pillow empresario Mike Lindell, who's been sued for defamation by a voting machine company for his claims about the 2020 election. Then it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Mr. Trump's false claims about 2020 already helped Republicans lose Georgia's two U.S. Senate seats last year, and that was one expensive blunder. Now it could split Wisconsin conservatives, aid Mr. Evers' reelection, and perhaps defeat Senator Ron Johnson. If that is what ends up happening. Mr. Trump won't regret it for a second because he never does. Wisconsin Republicans will regret it for years, to which I, I say amen. And and for people who say, well, you know, you, you talk about this and you keep saying this and, you know, don't, don't you understand that there was problems with the election? No, we, you, you need to move on. And 
for every moment that anybody spends focusing on what happened in 2020, that is a distraction to where people should be focusing, which is, you know, what are the issues that people are going to care about in 2022, particularly in November of 2022? And it's going to be the economy. It's going to be issues of crime. It's going to be education type of issues. And there's going to be vast choices that are there. So can't we just collectively agree that we're going to stop talking about 2020, trying to decertify the election or whatever crazy scheme is out there, and concentrate on the future. Just ask him. All right, when we come back, do you know your gazindas? I'll explain. We'll discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I said we were going to talk about gazindas. What are Gazindas? Well, if you will remember the old television show, The Beverly Hillbillies, Jethro Bodine, he always did his Gazindas. The Gazindas were math. It was like two Gazinda four twice. Um, four goes into eight twice. You know, four goes into 16 four times. And you get the idea, the Gazindas, the, 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 the basic sort of math things. And if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that Okay, this is kind of one of my pet peeves, and that is that I believe that we are raising generations of people who are functionally illiterate when it comes to basic math skills. Now, I'm not talking about advanced calculus and things like that. I'm talking about the the basic things like addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. The the things that I I think you need, I I mean, I've told these stories before about how you're, you're like at, at the golf course, and it's the at between the ninth and the tenth hole, and you you go up, and there's the gal at the shack, and she's got you, you buy a hot dog for three, or you buy a hot dog for four dollars, and you buy a, a coke for two dollars, and you give them a ten dollar bill, and you can see she's got to pull out her calculator to go ten minus four minus two equals four. It, it, it's those stories, and, and and it's kind of like really. You, you, you can't do this in, in your head. And I've always argued that you know, people will tell me it's no big deal because everybody's got the smartphones nowadays. All the smartphones have calculators on them. You, you don't need to learn that. And I've always rejected that because I, I think it's important to do at least basic concepts of math in your head. For example, I mean, when I was a, in college, for example, and you'd go into the grocery store, and you'd have a lot of money, and you, you'd sit there, and if you're walking down the aisle, I always, and even to this day, I, I have a running total in my mind of how much ballpark the items should cost. And I'm not talking about I can tell you that I bought exactly $33.23 worth of stuff, but I have a rough idea in my head, okay, I bought this, this is 4 bucks. I bought that, that's 3 bucks. whatever. So that when I get up to the counter and you know they give me the final total, if all of a sudden they say the final total is... I don't know, $75, and I'm thinking it should be like $35, I'm at least going to say, wait a second, can we look at this? But, I mean, it's it's that ability to kind of do some of that just basic math in your head so you know, for example, if you're getting the right change. You know, let's say, let's say you're still one of those people who still uses cash from time to time, and you give somebody that $10 bill, and they, they ring it up, and they're supposed to, I don't know, they're, they're supposed to give you $3.75 in change, and instead you get $3.20 in change or whatever. If, if you don't know how much you're supposed to get back and you can't do that basic math skills, you're lost. So what, what got me started on this is actually 
a survey out of Ireland. It's by the Association of British Insurers. And here's what they say. Four in ten, so 40% of people, do not feel confident about using numbers in their everyday lives. About one in five say they would avoid jobs that involve using numbers often. More than a third say that having easier access to online numeracy skills would help them, and a quarter feel that clearer explanations would increase their confidence in dealing with numbers. But the bottom line of this is that you've got almost 40% of the people that do not feel confident about using numbers in their everyday life. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, I'm not sure that that's... That's a stunning or surprising number, but I think it's an incredibly disappointing number, That, that and I, I believe it's probably accurate, and especially, and I don't mean this to be a generational thing, but especially as you get younger and younger, my guess would be, if you would say to a lot of, I don't know, people in their 20s, I mean, do, and I'm not talking about the folks that are, you know, working, you know, in the math labs or things like that, rocket science, but I'm talking about average people. If you said, hey, do you feel confident about using numbers, you know, the basic addition, subtraction, division, that type of stuff in your everyday life, I, I believe that number is about accurate with 40%. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So I guess the question is, d- does it make any difference nowadays? If As long as you have access to the smartphone that's got the calculator, as long as, well, we're moving more towards a cashless society, so what difference does it make? You don't have to worry about if you're getting the correct change. All you do is you pull out the credit card, you give it, or you run it through the, the thing, you stick the chip in, and, you know, who, who cares? You know, we, we don't need to do those checks. We don't need to know those things. Is that where we are in, in 2020, or... Should we be working to make people feel more comfortable with what I'm describing as that basic everyday math that you come into contact with, you know, every day of the year? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you... You know, we all have to do math in our head, and if you're doing your tax returns, you shouldn't have a calculator there. No, that, that that's the kind of stuff that would be dumb. But I'm talking about the, this basic being comfortable with doing the, the basic math. And the, the survey that got me talking about it is 40% of the people saying that they're, they do not feel confident about using numbers in their everyday life. And I guess I think that's not a surprising number, but it's a very, very distressing number. Jeff, I'm a self-employed floor installer. I use math every day. It's usually done on the fly and in my head. You would be absolutely amazed to know the amount of people that don't know what a square foot is or how to even calculate how many square feet a room is well well yeah okay if you're i don't know you're at the the home goods store and you're going to replace the tile in your living room and you got to figure out okay what's how much do i need you you need to be able to make those calculations debbie in kenosha debbie you're on wtmj good afternoon hi um you know i've always, i fortunately i've always been somebody that's been good at math and we had a family business and got to use it since i was a kid and i always do like you do to keep track and my husband and i we like to go to estate sales or rummage sales and i kind of always have a mental total or what it's going to be but i find frequently even people who use calculators make an error because they punch in the wrong number i mean their number can be so much off and then they're 
kind of insulted if I question them, but then we go through it. You know, if they're using a calculator with no tape, a lot of times, yeah, I'm insulted well, you, that uh, you question it, and they don't. And I have to say, I, I am a, a retired nurse, but I also worked uh, after nursing, like in uh, higher, I mean, technical level school, and I was surprised how many people can't tell time. <laughs> And <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, Debbie. Thanks for that. I that's mean, a whole other thing. On a- Right or a clock? No, right, right. right I got the digital thing. That that's a whole other topic. But you know, I was when you were talking about the calculator, and, and this kind of ties in because there there will be times when I'm going to be when I'm using a calculator, and I'll I don't know whether it's my my fat index finger or whatever, where I, I will you know you, you'll add a chain of numbers. Uh, for for whatever that's going to be, you add a chain of numbers, and then you you look at it. I look at it, and I just know it's wrong. It, it's just, and, and I can't tell you how many times it is because I have entered, you know, in, in the series of the, the ten numbers that I'm punching in that I want to add. I, I've neglected to put the decimal point in the right place on on the one, or I, I just hit the thing too fast. But but at least I'm able to look at it and to know that this isn't right. You know, I mean, the, there's. Okay, the, the ten numbers, and they're all around a hundred dollars. Well, if the answer comes back to be, you know, three thousand dollars, the answer comes back to be three hundred dollars. You you know instinctively there is a mistake somewhere along the line. One of those numbers that you entered was was wrong, or you entered it incorrectly. But if you don't have that that basic fluency or familiarity with numbers, you're you're going to be lost even with the calculator. Um, Chris on the west side. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I was saying it seems like people don't know how to make change correctly or easily anymore, even when the cash register tells them what they need to give back. Um, And heaven forbid, don't give them an extra penny to make it so that they don't have to give you four pennies because they I, I, just totally are confused. I, Chris, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate. I, and I, I told this story. I don't know a while back on, on the radio, but it's it it was honest to goodness true. What happened was, and and I might have I I, I didn't want to get change back. So let's I don't know if the if the if the bill was. Uh, Okay, let's say it's, um, I'm trying to think of the example of, of how exactly it happened. But I, I rounded I, I rounded up so you didn't have to give pennies back. I mean, maybe it was like, maybe the bill was like $8.05 and I gave them eight twenty or something like eight twenty five or whatever. But it, they're clearly lost. Okay, you, you've given us, you know, more money than we're supposed to have. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm just trying to make it a little bit easier. Just give me the, I'm trying to round it up so you give me a dollar back as opposed to that. And, and, and that was how it kind of played out. But you had people that were just flat out confused with this. David in Waukesha. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Well, I think it's an educational issue. I remember uh, going up and learning the multiplication table, and then I have an 18-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter, and uh, we're doing this new math that, A, it's all about the theory, but they don't memorize it. They outright told me they're not asked to memorize the multiplication table. Yeah. And that just, by mind, like, Great, you got a theory, but you got to learn how to do it. 
Right, and you. I mean, thanks to call David, and you should be able to do it in your head quickly. I, a number of people are texting in, and again, this is it's sort of a walk down memory lane. But for for many of us, we learn this stuff with our parents with the old fashioned flashcards. You know, what 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 are flashcards? Now, this is before Al Gore invented the internet. But for people who might not be familiar, flashcards were exactly that. And they, they would have, okay, we're doing multiplication. And the flashcard on one say, side, it would say 4 times 6. And the back side, it would say 24. So, I, I mean, I can remember sitting down with my mom or dad at the dining room table when I was a kid. And we would do the flashcards. They'd hold them up, and it would be 4 times 6. And you go, okay, that's, that's 24. And you learned your multiplication tables. You learned how to do that type of stuff. Uh, again, in, in that kind of old-fashioned way, so it was drilled into you. So I just, I, I don't know what the answer to this is, but if you feel that, gee, there, there's, if you feel that you, for example, are aren't confident using numbers and doing this stuff, well, you, you're not alone because about 40% of the people answering the survey say the same thing. We'll be back in just a moment. We're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.